0: TheYeshiva.net Somebody once said that he overheard a conversation in a shul between two Jews. David tells Chaim, he says, Thank you so much for lending me that $20,000. I shall be everlastingly in your debt. And he responds, that's exactly what I'm afraid of. There's another anecdote, they say, about Yankel, who borrowed a very large sum of money from his friend, Muttel, And when it came time to pay back, the borrower didn't have the money. (laughs) So he asked Muttel. he said, considering that we have been friends for so many years, since we've been children, maybe you would forgive the loan. He says, I can't forgive the loan, it's... It's a huge sum of money. I lent you $60,000. So the borrower says, no problem. I understand that it's a very large amount, and I'm not asking you to forgive it all at once. You could forgive a bit every month until it's all gone. I, I share these anecdotes with you. And there are many others of this style and nature. Because in Parshas Mishpatim, we have the laws of the shayl, the borrower. Generally, the Torah speaks about four types of custodians. Four types of shaymrim, arba shaymrim heim. That's how our sages define it. There are four types of custodians, a shaym a shaym sachar, a seicher, and a shayel. Which means four types of responsibilities in terms of somebody having the property or the assets or an object that belongs to somebody else and responsible to give it back. There is a shaymachin, I'm an unpaid custodian. I'm going to Florida for three weeks, right? I have a little puppy, and I ask you, can you take care of my puppy for three weeks? Or can you take care of my sheep, of my goat, of my donkey, of my horse, whatever the situation? Or I have a diamond ring, I don't want to leave it at home, there's nobody there, can I give it to you? You're an unpaid custodian, you're a friend, you want to do me a favor. Obviously, you're going to protect it, you're not going to build a safe, you're not going to hire full-time security guards, you're an unpaid custodian. That's called a shaymachina. A shaymachina is a paid custodian, a bank. I pay the bank every year a certain amount of money to keep maybe very precious items in a safe, and I especially put it in a bank. They have the safe, they have the the security, they invest money in it, and they charge me for it. That's a shaymachina. People take money, To protect. Now their level of responsibility goes up. I'm not just a friend, an unpaid custodian. I'm taking money from you for watching it. Obviously, I have to protect it. There's a third category called a seicher, a renter. I'm not a custodian. I rent. I rent your car from you. I rent a phone from you. I rent anything I rent from you. I rent a gown. I'm using it for a month, for a week, for a day, and I'm paying you money. But I have to give it back to you. I'm a custodian. I'm still a shimer. But you're getting paid. I'm not just using it. You're getting paid for it. And then the last one is a shoyal, a borrower. He has the best of both worlds. He gets to use it, and he's not paying. You see an unpaid custodian or a paid custodian, they're not using it. They're watching it. One is getting paid, one is not getting paid. A renter, I rented your car, I'm using it, but I'm also paying you. I'm paying you a monthly fee. A shoyal... I'm not watching it, I'm borrowing it. I borrow to use it. And I don't pay anything, that's what a borrower is. A borrower by definition is, I'm borrowing it from you, I'm not renting it, that's a different category. And the turner very interestingly specifies the level of responsibility. An unpaid custodian, he gets away almost with murder. (laughs) Meaning, as long as this fellow is not negligent, right, he or she is absolved of any payments. So, for example, there's a robbery. Somebody breaks into the house. Things that I could have put up another gate, I could have put on an alarm system, but the Shemachinam is absolved because he or she basically fulfilled their basic duty of of guarding it, as long as I was not negligent. If there's a new puppy in the house and I leave the door wide open and I let it just run away, that's called pshia, negligence. Then... Don't tell me you're going to watch it for three weeks and you leave the door open. So obviously then I do have to pay. But if it's anything that was not about negligence, it was lost, it was stolen, there was things above, beyond my control, then I'm absolved. A paid custodian, here the responsibility goes up. Even if it's stolen, I have to pay because I should have had better security. But if there's a hurricane, for example, there's a hurricane or there's another uh, unavoidable accident that I couldn't control, then the paid custodian doesn't have to pay. The same is true with a renter. Yes, he's responsible, but he's paying money for it, and he gets to use it. So the la there's an argument, but the has the same level of a HaSachah. The shayel is different. The borrower, the Torah says, she or he has to always give back what you took. There's no excuses. If I was negligent, certainly. But even if I was not negligent, if it was stolen, if it was lost, and even if it wasn't just stolen, if it was an unavoidable accident, armed robbery, God forbid, a tsunami, a hurricane, corona, whatever it is, the person could say, I didn't do anything. (laughs) It would have happened if it was by you too. Maybe you're right, but if you borrow something, I want it back. You borrowed my computer. Now you'll say there was a problem in the whole New York state. All the, com- maybe, <laughs> I want my computer back. And if you can't give me the computer back, give me the value of the computer back. You borrowed from me a sheep or a goat or an ox. It died, it got sick and it died. It's not the borrower's fault. Maybe it would have gotten sick in my house too. You're right, but I lent it to you. You assume full responsibility. So a shayel is the highest level. He or she is high of what's called even an einsin meaning even unavoidable accidents. Certainly, if I could have avoided it, I could have put up better security, I could have not been negligent, but even if it was really unavoidable accidents, the Torah says the shoyel always has to pay back what you have taken. Now, let's see this inside. If you can open your first, you have a source sheet. If you don't have it, it's here on the bima. It's the first source. Right here on the bima, yeah that's exodus chapter chapter 22 verse 14 and 15 ish when a person borrows say an animal from a friend from another person and it gets injured Nishbar means it gets injured, say, uh, breaks a limb, or it dies. As long as the owner not being there with it, the borrower has to compensate, has to make restitution, you have to pay back. The Torah continues. If the owner was with it, with him, no restitution has to be made. We'll get to a moment In a moment we'll discuss this detail. But here we have the clear halacha, and this is the law until this very day in Shulchan Aruch, I'm always responsible to return what has been given to me as a loan, either intact or I have to make good on its value regardless of the degree of my fault in the tragedy and the accident. It's just like with money. If I lend you $10,000, now you have the money, I need back that money. You have to give it back to me. You say, somebody broke into my home and stole the money. I'm sorry. So does that absolve you from the loan? What would you say? (laughs) Somebody borrows money from you. Something happens. They lost it. Somebody pickpocketed. They lost it in the airport. You had a hole in your pocketbook, in your pants. Whatever it is. I understand. I'm sorry. (laughs) If it would have happened to me, tough luck. It's my money. But now it happened to you, and it was my money. You have to give back the money. I, You say, I really wasn't negligent. I didn't throw out the money. You're right. I'm not saying you were negligent. That's the halacha of a shoyal. The halacha of a shoyal is, you give it back. If you don't have the original animal, you give back. You compensate for the value of it. Now, a person could say there was a lightning bolt. Anybody could have avoided that. A bank could avoid that. Lightning, maybe. <laughs> you could create more protection. But in certain situations, everybody knows, they're living in a country, there's a tsunami. What are they supposed to do? How do you protect yourself against the surge, surging, uh, ferocious power of an ocean? No, nobody can protect. You can't. How could you protect certain things? Your person can't protect from. That's the point. It's not about blame. It's about re- it's about responsibility. Certainly, if the shayal is negligent, if the borrower was really negligent, I did not fulfill my responsibility. Then certainly, I have to pay. It's not even a question. Now. I should just add one detail, and that is, there is a very interesting exception to this. This exception is discussed in Gemara. Rava is the one who taught it, one of the great Talmudic sages in tractate Baba Metziah, the seventh chapter, which is dedicated completely to the laws of a borrower, the laws of Shail, HaShailas HaPara. And he basically says, yes, I'm always responsible to return the loan. So if I borrowed your car, I need to give it back to you. I borrowed your computer, I need to give it back to you. I borrowed your horse, your donkey, your camel, your sheep, your ox, your dog. I have to give it back to you. I borrow your iPhone, smartphone or flip phone, whatever it is. I need to return it to you. I got it. I could say the animal got sick. There's a pandemic going around. Masks don't help. All the excuses, I have to give it back. Got it. But Ravas says there's one exception, it's a very interesting exception, and it's called Mesa Machmas Malacha. Mesa Machmas means if the animal died as a result of the work that I borrowed it for. In other words, if the damage occurred during the normal use of the object for which I borrowed it. So, for example, while the ox is plowing, as a result of plowing, not as a result of an illness, or a hurricane or somebody did per- a perpetrator but as a result of the work the ox simply couldn't ply in a diet i take i borrow a hammer from you right i borrow a hammer because i have to bang a nail into build my sukkah in the process of that the hammer splinters here the shoyal is putter. why so the ramban says because here you can't blame the borrower here you have to blame the lender I gave you a hammer that was not supposed to be used. It's an antique. It comes from my elta, elta, elta baba. Belongs in a museum. It's not made to be used. So now I'm the negligent one. I gave you an ox that's not supposed to plow. It's gonna die when it plows. Not supposed to do that. It reached already. It's beyond that age, beyond that ability. Now I gave it to you. You didn't know, I borrowed it from you. Or you borrowed it from me. Now you use it and now you have to pay me. I'm the one who's negligent. That's what the Ramban says. That's the logic of machmas melacha. I have to, of course, bring witnesses that that was the case, or I, if it was private, in a private space, I have to take an oath that these are the circumstances. That makes sense. But if it's anything but machmas melacha, if the hammer was destroyed because of another reason, then the borrower has to pay. Clear. But here we see that the Torah gives us one exception. If you look again at this passage, it says, The borrower pays when the owner was not present. The owner was not there. If the owner was there, no restitution has to be made. The logic would seem very clear, right? If the owner was present during the injury or during the loss, the lender was present, then you could say it never really left his domain or his supervision. So for example, let's say you lend me your car, but you're in the car with me. You're in the car with me. Something happens to the car. So then perhaps the title is saying, I'm not responsible because you're part of it. You're there. You lend me your animal, but you're there. You're there with the animal. Something happens to the animal. Yeah, an accident happens, the animal gets sick, the animal dies. You were there. It never really, even though it's in my property, I borrowed it from you. But this, this is what makes sense. This is how the Sefer Achinuch explains it. The Vilna Gaon explains it. It makes sense because if it was in my domain but the owner was there, so then he's probably guarding his object or his animal. It's still in his own hands. Or he should guard it. <laughs> it's your car. It's your thing. You can guard it as well as me. I didn't take it away from your home and bring it to my field and you're gone. You're there. So that would make a lot of sense. i tell you this thing. ain't If the owner is gone and now it's under my complete supervision, you don't have the ability to guard it. You gave me the car and you're not there. You gave me your phone and you're not there. You gave me your vacuum cleaner or your computer <coughs> or your ox and you're not here. You lent me your gown I need it for a wedding, or your dress, or an outfit, or whatever it is. You're not here. You're not there. So that I understand, I have to take responsibility. I have to supervise it. But if the owner is there, the Torah says clearly that the borrower is absolved from the damages. This is how the Sefer HaChinuch understands it, and many, many other commentators. Devanezra and the Cheskuni, they add something else, and they say, when the owner is present, he could see with his own eyes that the borrower was not at fault. And because he could see it with his own eyes, he sees the innocence, therefore the borrower is absolved. So everything would seem glott and smooth. There is what seems simple logic to this principle, to this halacha, to this law. Yet, our sages, the Chachamim, interpret this posseh very, very differently. And as I mentioned, there's a whole chapter in Mishnayos it's the seventh chapter of tractate, Bava Metzia that deals with these laws, the laws of a borrower, somebody who borrows something from, from a friend, a man or a woman, and their responsibilities. And there are sages who are always very sensitive to nuance deduce from the way this Pesach is written that the law with the borrower is much more nuanced. Because there is a problem. If you look in the Pesach, there is something amiss. There is a redundancy that seems completely superfluous, excessive, and unnecessary. The Torah says if you borrow something from your friend and the animal gets injured or dies, ba'alav ein imay, if the owner is not there with him, shalem, you you have to pay. That's pretty clear. <laughs> that means if the owner is there, you don't pay. So why does the pasik then continue a new pasik. By the way, in of email, ilo yishalem, You already said, if the owner is not there, you have to pay. That means if the owner is there, you don't have to pay, right? One plus one equals two. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. The so Torah could have simply said, if the owner is not there, you pay. And I would understand that if the owner is there, I don't have to pay. The Torah could have also written it differently. If you borrow something from your friend and it gets injured or died, so... If the owner is there, the the, you don't have to pay. And you could figure it out the other way around. But it seems clear. So the Gemara says that's from here. We see that the Torah is trying to teach us something that we would have not known from the first posse. What is the Torah teaching us? <laughs> so here's where it becomes lebedic and complicated and interesting and fascinating and hopefully at the end of the class, life-changing, yes. Right, very good question. Why shalem yashalem twice? Okay, we're going to have to leave that for another class, but it's a very good question. It could have said shalom pay. We know what pay means, right? Huh? It's like almost like a Jewish way of saying it. Pay means pay, right? No means no. Like N-O exclamation point three times. <laughs> like shalem yashalem, I mean it. Like you have to pay. <laughs> there's an old anecdote, there's an expression... Minig mevatel halacha, that sometimes a minig is so powerful that it can override a halacha. The question is, where do you see such a thing? And the answer is, the halacha is that when you borrow money, you have to pay. The minig is that you don't pay. So from here, you have to prove that minig mevatel halacha. But that's just anecdotal, because as you know, the Pesach says, "Shalom yeshalem, you actually have to pay, and it's a mitzvah. So, the Gemara learns from this a fascinating nuance. And the nuance is, it says, ba'olav eni my shalom yeshalem. If the owner is not there, you have to pay. It's very clear that if he is there, you don't have to pay. The reason the Torah repeats it is because it's actually saying something different. In Baal of Ima, if the owner was there with you when you borrowed it, not when the accident happened. In Baal of Ima means the owner was with you when you acquired it as a borrower. That's when the owner was with you. The owner was doing something for you, was working for you, was employed by you, was doing you a favor, but he was with you. He was doing something on your behalf when you borrowed that animal or that object, whether it's a computer again, or a phone, or a ring, or a necklace, or a gown, or a hat, whatever it is. When you borrowed it, the owner was with you. That's what it means, ba'olav imo'ilayashal. And then you don't have to pay. And then, retroactively with the Torah, it says, Ba'alav eni mo'yishalem yishalem. It means that when you borrowed the animal, the owner was not with you. Let's see the source. Baba Metziah, Tzadak Hay Amod Beis. That's Talmud, Baba Metziah, 95B. Tanya, we learn Tabraise. Mima, that comes from the great Tanoim. Mima sh'ma sh'anem arim ba'alav ima lo'yishalem. E'ni yidea sh'in ba'alav eni mo'yishalem This is the question we asked. It says that if the owner is not there, you have to pay. Obviously, if the owner is there, you don't have to pay. It's superfluous. What does the Torah mean when it says, if the owner is not there with you, you have to pay? to teach you. If the owner was there with you, with the borrower, while you borrowed his or her animal or object, then even if the owner is not there with you during the accident, while the animal was injured, or while the animal died, or while the computer got destroyed. The owner wasn't there. You're absolved. And the Gemara gives a practical example. Baba it's Zion, page 97. Amarava, Rava said. You have it in the Aramaic, and then I have the I put in the English translation from Safari. Amarava. Haiman de boile mishel Midi Michavriva Lifter. Somebody who wants to borrow something from another one, from another person, and be exempt from liability. He's what's called in Yiddish, an ibechachem. Namely, say to the lender, Maya, do me a favor, there's no water in the house. The pipes are broken, the sink is broken. Well, you are dealing with the third century after the common era. So there were no sinks and they didn't have water coming into the homes. It wasn't so simple to get water. Somebody had to go to the well, somebody had to go to the canal, to the stream, to the spring, to the lake, and actually draw water and bring it to the homes. So you ask your friend and you say, pour me water. Maybe he has a little water and you're thirsty. Or maybe he has some extra water he can bring over to your house. Or maybe he can help fix the canal that you created to irrigate your garden or your home or to bring in water to your house for you and your family. But you say, Ashki and Maya, do me a favor, pour me water. Says Rava, then he goes and he starts bringing water to you. And then you say, can I also borrow? Can I also borrow for a few minutes? Can I borrow your ox? Can I borrow your donkey? I need to deliver a letter to somebody. It's a few miles, can I use your donkey? Says, Rava, you'll be fine, because even if something happens to the donkey, <laughs> this is a case of borrowing an item, but you first borrowed the services of the owner. When you borrowed that donkey, the owner was doing something for you, he was working for you. And Rava continues, <laughs> If the lender is a piquech, if he's the chachem, <laughs> if he's the wise guy, Name lay, he should tell you, no, no, <laughs> I don't trust you. First, borrow the item, I'm happy to give you water. But first, borrow the item, and then I'll bring you the water. Because at the time that you borrowed the item, the owner was not working for you, right? You took the donkey. Later, ten minutes later, he went to bring you the water. Now when you borrowed it, the owner was not with you, employed by you, helping you, working for you. Now you assume full responsibilities. Let's see, and here's a classic example, how something starts in Chumash, it continues in Gemara, and it makes its way down to Shulchan Aruch. And you're dealing with a few thousand years, because the Torah was given 3,330 years ago. The Gemara was authored 16, 1700 years, uh, years ago. It was completed in the 5th century after the Common Era, in the 400s after the Common Era. And the Shulchan Aruch was written by Rabbi Yosef Karo in the 16th century, in the 1500s after the Common Era. So here you have the full span of Jewish, much of the span of Jewish history, from Moshe Rabbeinu all the way to Rabbi Yosef Karo, who lived in Swas and wrote the Shulchan Aruch the code of Jewish law, and how a halach is formulated practically and it's practiced till today within Jewish systems of law. Shulchanaruch, the section that deals with civil law called Mishpat, section 346. I'll, I'll read and translate. I borrow something. While I took from you, I drew from you the thing that I borrow. Again, it could be an object, it could be whatever it is. It could be a plant, it can be an animal, it can be a computer. But while I took it from you, the lender was working with me for me. He may be fixing the wires, he may be a plumber who I hired to do something in my home. He may be an electrician, he may be just somebody helping me with my garden, he may be somebody helping me with a doorknob, or she may be helping me for pay or not for pay. Maybe they're doing me a favor. In other words, they're being borrowed or they're being rented. It's irrelevant. But when I took that item from him or her, they were with me, they were working for me. Then even if the borrower was later not be able to give back what they took, I can't give back the puppy, why it was stolen, or maybe it was lost, and maybe it was negligent. I left the door open. I left the door unlocked, and somebody came in and took the animal, took the computer, took the phone, took the jewelry, potter, the borrower is absolved. Because the Torah says if the owner was with him, with whom? With the borrower. If the lender was with the borrower during the lending, I don't have to pay. It may be that the owner was actually there while it happened. He was working. I borrow your ox, and I also borrow you, and you're there. That's one situation. Then the rationale would actually be very obvious, because he was there when it happened, he saw it happening, it's under his supervision. But even if I hired him to do something else, I hire him to build my sukkah. And I also borrow his ox afterwards to work in the field. But when I borrow the ox, he was building my sukkah. I'm absolved from what happens to the ox. Of course, if I shoot the ox or I beat the ox, then I have to pay. That's called a mazik. But in terms of a custodian of a shimer, the fact that I didn't return it, even if I was negligent, if I actually damaged it, of course, I have to pay for it. But if I wasn't mazik, but something happened to it, out of my control, even if I was negligent, then I don't have to pay. Afilu mayim. Even if I tell the owner, can you give me water? <laughs> And he brings water. While he's still working on bringing him the water, he lent him his ox. This is called borrowing when the owner was with you. But if I first took the ox, I borrowed the ox, and then an hour later I say, do me a favor, Yankel, Rachel, Dvoire, Sada, Mottal, please give me a little water. I see you have a lot of water. He brings the water. Then, even if he's by the accident, that's not called she'elah v'ba'elah, and therefore I'm obligated. So this is a fascinating halacha. So let's say I ask my friend to come help me build my sukkah. And he comes and he starts building my sukkah. I also borrow from him a wedding gown, or borrow from her a wedding gown, or borrow a car, completely not connected. Huh? It won't work, so okay. Yeah, yeah, I said from her. <laughs> so, but then she's a different car <laughs> I hear. The a different, <laughs> different lender, yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll give a different example. And I also take his car from him. But I took the car while he was busy working for me. Now something happens to the car. And maybe, maybe I was negligent. I was negligent. I parked it in a place where it's not safe, whatever it is. I'm not talking about if I damaged the car. If I damaged the car, I'm a mazik. But I did not, I was not an appropriate custodian. Certainly if it was an oynos, meaning it was an accident, or it was stolen or was lost, but even if it was a pshia, the Torah is mechadish, that Baal of Imai, if the owner was working for me while the borrowing happened, I don't have to pay restitution. Certainly if the owner is there when it happened, even if he's not there when it happened, he's building the sukkah and he takes an hour break, he goes for lunch, During that hour, something happened to the cow. Something happened to the ox. He wasn't there. I don't have to pay him. That's what Chazal learned from these psukim. Now, the Gemara says that that's how you have to read the pasik, the first pasik that we started over the class with. We started over the class. That the master, the owner, being there with him or not with him is v'chi During the borrowing. When I borrowed, the owner was not with me. But when I borrowed it, if the owner was with me, even if he or she wasn't there, when it happened, I don't have to pay restitution. There's a very famous commentator on Chumash called haksav v'hakabola. And he gives a very interesting insight. He says, look at the Pasik, It starts off with v'chi ish somebody borrows from his friend. Later it's called Baalav, he's called the owner. Could have said when I borrow something from an owner, when I borrow from a friend and the owner is not there with me. So he says this was another dig that the Chazal studied because once it's in my property, once it's in my domain, for all practical purposes I'm the owner. For example, if you lend me something for a month, I could keep it for a month even if you say I need it back. If you gave it to me for a month, I'm allowed to keep it for a month. So for all technical purposes, I am the owner, at least for usage during that month. When are you considered the owner? Before you give it to me. So he says, the fact that the Torah says, of Eimoy, the owner was not with me. When are you still the owner? Before you lent it. Before you lent it, you weren't with me. Baalav imay the owner was with me. doesn't mean later when it happened. The accident may have happened a month later. It means during the lending, that's when you're called Baalav. That's how the Ksav vha explains it. But now let's go to the next step. Everything is clear. What's the logic of this? What's the logic? The Torah doesn't state a reason. The Torah just says, this is the halacha. But how how, how am I supposed to understand it? It's actually pretty strange. Because let's... Give the practical, the the, the following scenario. <clears throat> You're getting confused. This is what your son does: eight hours a day, empathy. <laughs> a little empathy, women. A little empathy. Okay. You want to know why he comes home stressed? You're sitting here for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. My humor. (laughs) But it's not such a joke always. You'll see. You'll see where we're getting in a few moments. Bezer Hashem. Because the logic seems a little strange. If I borrow your car from you, I have to give it back, right? (laughs) After I borrow the car, I ask you, you know, I have the car already. I have to take a trip somewhere, maybe to the mountains or to Montreal. You're a good driver. Can I hire you also to drive me in your car that you lent me? Right? Something happens to the car. The halacha would be, since when I borrowed the car, you were not working for me, it's not sheila babayla. So even though you were there when the accident happened, right, I'm responsible for the car because I borrowed it. On the other hand, if you were helping me build my sukkah, helping me fix the plumbing in my home, or fix a pipe and insulate a pipe in this weather, or a pipe burst and you helped me fix the pipe, and during that process I borrow the car, even though the accident happened completely under my domain, I was with the car, you weren't even there. What would be the halacha? She'elah b'bailem. When I borrowed the car, you were there with me, and therefore, whatever happens, even if I was negligent, I'm poter. It seems. To be quite absurd, the logic is the other way around. How are we supposed to understand? So the, a lot of the commentators struggle with this. The Aruch HaShulchan says it's it's a degree, decree of the Torah. But the Rambam says when you could, when you could understand kol kol litinloi, tam The Rambam says when you when you could when you could understand, try to understand. So I'm just going to give you one possible brief explanation. It's, it's, it's a little bit subtle and abstract, but I think you'll understand it. One way, of, one way of understanding it is as follows. If the owner is working for me, if you want to use it uh, in Slabotka there was a famous term they used to use, "Godless HaAdam," the greatness of a human being. It actually attests to that idea in a very interesting way. Because the borrowing of an object if a person is working for me, borrowing his or her object can't be considered something distinct of borrowing the owner. A person is too valuable, is too dignified, too great to be able to make that distinction and say, I borrowed you, I also borrowed your coat. If I didn't borrow the person, I borrowed your coat, I borrowed your computer, I borrowed your car, I borrowed your animal. But if I have the person, <laughs> the person is too significant, too infinitely important to be able to attribute a separate act that I borrowed you, Yeah, just like I said, I borrowed, I, I, I borrowed you, and I also borrowed <laughs> that w- a person is wearing a shirt. The, the plumber comes to me, he's wearing a shirt, I, say, I borrowed him and I borrowed his shirt. I didn't borrow his shirt, I borrowed him. He happens to come with a shirt, he comes with shoes, he comes with pants. It's completely subservient to him. It's not considered separate. So therefore, if the person is working for me halachically, I never assume the identity of a custodian, of a shoymer, responsible to guard the item that he gave me until it's returned because it's considered an extension of the borrower. The lending of the object is part and parcel of the fact that he lent himself or she lent herself. Remember, at the moment that I borrowed the item, this person lent themselves to me or they rented themselves out to me. I had them, so I never assume responsibility for that particular object, which is just an extension of them. In other words, if I I ask somebody to work for me, in addition to that, afterwards I also borrow a particular object of theirs, the halacha doesn't see it as two separate, distinct experiences. I rented you, and I also borrowed your hammer. Your hammer is completely subservient and and aligned with you. Just like when a person comes to work for me, they bring their tools. So it's not I pay you, and I pay you, I, I, and I pay your tools. The tools is an extension of the person. You don't say there's the person, and there's the person's hammer. <laughs> The person, came, the person came with the hammer. So therefore, there's no halacha of being a shomer on these items that I acquired while the person was working for me. And that's why, if I first borrow the animal and then the owner, I am responsible. It's not Shayla abailam. If I first borrow the item or the animal and then the owner, I am responsible for all losses. And that's why even if I was negligent, I'm not responsible because there was never an obligation of Shmira. Just like I don't have to return the owner to the owner, right? Like the Chelem story. I don't have to return you to you in case you get lost in my house. That's why you're a person. I never assumed responsibility for your pants or for your shoes or even for your puppy or for your computer. It's an extension of you. Because I borrowed it after I borrowed you, after I had you. And once I have you... It reminds me of a cute story. There was, once, <laughs> there was once a Hasidic guy, and he went to fix something in the house of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was from Williamsburg. And he went to fix, I think, the air conditioner or something on President Street in Crown Heights. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wife, her name was Rebbe Zanchaya was there. So he's working, and he's just fixing the air conditioner, and, you know, making small talk with the woman who hired him to fix the air condition. So at the end, he says, do you mind if I ask you a question? I see in Crown Heights most homes have a picture of the Labavitcher Rebbe. I see you're the only house who doesn't have a picture of him. Maybe you should come to Williamsburg. Those were the days, you know, it wasn't. (coughs) (laughs) So she looked at him and she said, she said, I have the original. (laughs) I have the original. A person is an original. I have you. I have your cow. I have your computer. Godless Adam, it can't be two things. A person is too big, right? Today we live in a world where our phones own us. We don't always own them, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's called screen addiction. <laughs> our phones own us. Our, I, but that's not how Judaism looks at it. Your phone doesn't own you. You own your phone. <laughs> You own your clothes, your clothes don't own you. You own your jewelry, jewelry doesn't own you. You own your money, your money doesn't own you. And if your money owns you, then the question is, who is this you? If you were you, how could your money own you? So, so therefore, the halacha, we don't see it as two separate things. So if you were with me when you lent me that object, I don't become a shoymer on the object. I have you even though you weren't there when the accident happened. But as a result of that, it would be fascinatingly, Torah Halach is not just a technical book of laws. It, it captures a hashkafas oylem, a weltanschauung, how you look at a person, how you look at their items, how you look at their commodities. And therefore, you're not allowed to be mazik. you still, still not allowed to damage your hammer or, or hurt your animal, chas v'sholem. Tzar even if it's mine, certainly if it's yours. But the point is, that I would, be, I would be absolved. So, we don't confer significance on your coat, on your computer, on your car, on your shovel. I have you, and no separate value can be conferred on that which belongs to you and is an extension of you. There's also other explanations, as I just mentioned. There, Al Bagh has two explanations, and Rev Hirsch, and the, the Mashachma. And the p'charshir and many of the rishonim have different explanations and perspectives, but this is one that is one possible way of explaining it. Still, I don't mean to be a party pooper. The logic still seems to be abstract. Practically, I have given you my car. Maybe I was working for you when I gave you the car. Got it? I lent you my animal. I lent you something very expensive. It may be $10,000. Let's say for a week, for a month, I worked for you only for a day. A month later, it's still by you. Yes, when you borrowed it, I was with you. But I'm gone. I went back home. I'm not sitting as a plumber in your house for eternity. You may have borrowed the car for three months. I don't know. So three months later, when an accident happens, you're absolved. And if it was stolen, it was lost. And even if you were negligent, you're absolved. Why? Because at the time when you took it, you had me. From a practical, maybe financial perspective, it seems unfair. How do you get away with it? was getting away with murder. It's like the guy telling him, you know, forgive the loan a little bit every month until it'll be gone. One of the fundamental ideas in Yiddishkeit is And this is an idea that's articulated very often in the writings of the Vilna Gon, who was a great Kabbalist, as well as a great halachist. he was also a great Kabbalist. As well as in the writings of the Arizal, in the writings of the Balatanya, and in the writings of all of the great Jewish spiritual mystics and masters. And that is every single halacha in Torah, every single law in Judaism, doesn't begin as a concrete halacha, as a concrete physical law. It evolves as a concrete law. It begins as a metaphysical principle, as a spiritual principle. Or in the words of the Ramban, ha belyoinim. The Torah speaks about physical realities, but it's alluding to spiritual realities. And one of the great 17th century Kabbalists, Rabbeinu Menachem Azariah Fanu, Ramem Fanu, writes, the converse, the Torah is actually speaking about spiritual realities. It's alluding to physical realities. So when I read a story in Chumash, when I read a law in Shulchan Aruch, I think I'm reading a physical law, which I am. But he says, really, it begins as a spiritual principle. And then it's, 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 it's concretized as a physical principle. That's why we say Hashem says, I spoke to you from heaven. What does it mean, I spoke to you from heaven? It doesn't only mean, from heaven I spoke to you. God is not there more than here. It means all Torah begins as heavenly concepts. Heavenly as a metaphor for spirituality, for transcendent ideas. And the Vilna Gaon says, then it evolves and it goes through an evolution until it assumes a physical incarnation, which is, of course, critical because And as the Gemara says in Shabbos, And as the Gemara says in a pasuk or a halach has to be understood literally, but the literal interpretation is the outer, final incarnation of the idea that can also, and it begins as a transcendent idea. You understand what I'm saying, right? Just like if you see physical tears of a person, right? Nobody is going to say, "I remember once I had a, one of my little children was much Small, and he saw somebody crying, <laughs> and he says he has a sink in his eyes." He opened the sink in his eyes. It was so cute, right? But we all know that the physical tears, you'll turn to somebody and say, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing? Who said I'm feeling something? You just see water. The answer is, the tears is just the physical manifestation of an emotion that's happening deep inside. And when I ask you how you're feeling, you may not even know what or how you're feeling. Or even if you do know, that feeling may yet be holding on to a deeper feeling, and yet a deeper feeling, but that you'll talk to your therapist about, deeper and deeper and deeper, until it assumes the physical incarnation of of tears, or dancing, or whatever else. And the same is true literally on every level of existence, because, for example, not going to get into the details, but in, in physics we know, and in science we know, that what I'm looking at is just the way it assumes an identity that my eyes can grasp. But if I had microscopic eyes, I could see the same reality and I would see a whole other universe inside of it. And it's not a contradiction. It's just we assume, everything assumes identity on different layers and on different, on, and, and on different levels. So if you're learning a halacha in the laws of mukta, you're learning mukta or you're learning about chalavakam, or you're learning about bisholakam, or you're learning about milk falling into chalant, Or you're learning about the laws of paying, not paying, not taking a loan with interest from another Jew. Or the laws of marriage or the laws of divorce, the laws of civil law. Whatever it is, every story, every mitzvah, every detail, you can understand it also on a psychological, spiritual, emotional, transcendent level. And it's not a contradiction. And then it assumes a concrete physical level. To really appreciate this halacha, we have to do that. Because when you could strip the physical layers and take it back to its spiritual source, then it's clear, it's crystal clear, how the Toyota formulates this principle. So the principle begins emotionally, begins spiritually. And then it assumes a physical concrete manifestation between physical borrowers and physical lenders living on our planet. When I was a yeshiva boy, I was fourteen years old. I'm still a yeshiva boy. But when I was a younger yeshiva boy, I was fourteen years old, and it was Shabbos Parshas Vayetze, Zion, Kislev, the seventh day of Kislev. Shabbos Parshas Vayetze. The year was Tavshin Memches. That's the end of nineteen eighty-seven in the secular calendar. And I had the privilege of hearing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of blessed memory. Explaining this halacha, this law that we just learned about She'ela babilam, It's known as She'ela babilam. And by the way, it's a chapter of Gemara that most of the yeshivas study because Baba Metziah is one of the tractates that the yeshivas learn. It's called Yeshiva Shemasechtas. So probably your sons learned this chapter. So when you go home, when they come home tonight, you'll test them on Perik HaShoyel and see if they know these halachas. And if not, we'll have to figure out what to do. Huh? Well, depends if you lent yourself to the yeshiva or you didn't lend yourself to the yeshiva. I don't know. So, this was 1987, Tavshin Memches. The Lababashi Rebbe explained the spiritual, psychological, emotional significance of this halacha. The truth is, the Rambam says at the end of Hilchis Tmura, Hilchis Me'ila, that most, he says, Most halachas have Torah, Einon Elel Sakin Hadeyos Ula HaMaisim expression, a marvelous expression of the Rambam most laws of the Torah are here to repair our perceptions and to transform our actions so if whenever I'm learning a halacha if I don't see in it an ability to alter perception to elevate perception so the Rambam says you probably didn't capture the core of it the essence of it how does this halacha elevate perception in the words of the Rambam l'sakin hadeyis Fix my mindset or, or inspire my mindset. I should just add one more interesting detail. After the Rebbe's passing in 1994, they found um, a lot of uh, loose, loose leaves, booklets, that he wrote for himself over the years, in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. Chidushi Torah Ideas and Learning. And over there, they found a transcript of a speech that the Rebbe gave at a Bar Mitzvah in 1941. Shabbos B'Reshesh, Chavzai, and Tishrei, Tavshin, Bez. And he wrote even whose Bar Mitzvah it was, a boy named Shmuel Pinchas Heber. And there, he said this, He wrote down this whole idea. But he didn't say it until 46 years later, in 1987. That's when I, I wasn't around in 41, And I wasn't at the Bar Mitzvah of Shmuel Heber. Shmuel Heber, if you know the community of St. Louis, was the chazen of the big... Orthodox shul in St. Louis for many, many decades. Shmuel Pinchas Heber, he had a blessed voice. He was I happen to know him. He passed away in 97. It was his Bar Mitzvah in 41. His name was Shmuel Pinchas. And based on his name Shmuel, which the word Shmuel is connected to the word Shoyel, borrowing, right? Shin ala, Vav vavlamit, shol, as Chana said, I borrowed him. So he's discussed the halachas of Shoyel. At the Bar mitzvah, using the name of the Bar mitzvah bucket to inspire a trajectory of life, but this remained a private transcript in the Rebbe's drawer in his room, in his office in 770 Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn. But 1987 at a Fabrengen, he said it, and then years later, after his passing, it was published. And then I saw that uh, the, two, the two ideas, the two ideas converged. Who is the ultimate shayil? Who is the ultimate borrower? You could borrow my coat. You can borrow a mink. You can borrow a lot of things from people. But we all know that ultimately the story of life is a story of a loan, isn't it? (laughs) The story of life is the story of a loan because Hashem lends us everything we possess. For a certain period of time, till 120, till 180. There is nothing in my life that is not borrowed. I don't own anything. I didn't create my own body. I didn't create my brain. I didn't create my soul. I didn't create my consciousness. I didn't create my psyche. I am given. I am given it as a gift and as a gift to utilize to utilize for a certain amount of time, and to maximize its potential. The 70 trillion cells that make up my body, I did not create them. In fact, I have no clue of how they were... I don't think anybody has a clue how a cell is formed. It's beyond fantastic. It's beyond mind-staggering. Or the 100 billion neurons firing up in my brain. I am given my faculties, resources, gifts, talents... Even the oxygen I inhale which is a prerequisite for life because the blood needs to be oxygenated and the cells need to be oxygenated that oxygen doesn't belong to me. You know, we take it for granted but it doesn't belong to us. Hashem has to arrange it and arrange it all to be given to me. The food I eat, the air I breathe the water I drink, the ground I walk on and holds me up. The blood flowing through my veins are all alone. It's called she'ela. I'm a shayel. That's what Chana tells Hashem in the beginning of the book of Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph, that we read on Rosh Hashanah, the Hafteira of Rosh Hashanah. Chana has a child. She couldn't have children for many years, and when she has a child, she names him Shmuel. Why Shmuel? Because Hashem She'iltiv. She was cognizant. I borrowed him from Hashem. He is, he is a loan from Hashem, and that's why she says, I want this loan to be in the possession of the one who lent it, right? She says all of his life, he's going to be Shaul Hashem, which is why she brings him back to Eili to be in the Mishkan of Shilei as the story continues, and Shmuel becomes one of the greatest spiritual masters and prophets in Jewish history. Moshe ba'aram b'choy anav, u'shmuel b'choy that's why we say in the famous words of the Slichis, Haneshama you remember? Vahaguf Pa'alach, Chusa Alamalach. Haneshama Loch, Shalach, Asay "Leman shmecha. The soul is yours, and the body is also yours. There was one of the Ga'onim of Yerushalayim, his name was Rabbi Shalem Yosef Zevin, He's the editor of the Teklopedia Talmudis. He has a very interesting book called Lo'era Alach, and he asks a question. He says, William Shakespeare has a play known as the Merchant of Venice. The Merchant of Venice takes place in Italy, in Venice. And Shylock, the Jew, who borrows money from Antonio? Huh? You forgot the Shakespeare? You for- but Shylo- Shylock is the lender. Shylock is the lender, and he wants collateral. He wants a mashkin. And what's the mashkin? A pound of flesh. A pound of flesh. Right? Now, the Gentile doesn't pay back the money. Doesn't have the money to pay. And Shylock wants his pound of flesh. And that's how the play evolves and continues. Hazeth not a Jew eyes? When you prick us, do we not bleed? And Rav Zevin asks a question. Regardless of Shakespeare's play, regardless of the question of Shakespeare's love or hate to the Jewish people, which is not our discussion today, halachically, how would Halakha look at such an agreement? And he has a long essay, Mamishan, a brilliant essay, analyzing Shylock and the agreement in the Merchant of Venice from a, from a perspective of Jewish law. And this is his conclusion. His conclusion is that the whole premise of the play from a Jewish perspective is null. It's void. It's non-existent. Why? He quotes a line from Shulchan Aruch Harav, from the Shulchan Aruch of the Balatanya. Ain, he says, Haguf Hu er The body belongs to God. Ain La Reshus Al A person has no permission to do something for the body that's not for the benefit of the body, because it's not yours. Just like I have no permission to do something to your body. So now imagine. You want collateral for a loan. So I put your house as collateral for the loan. I don't have permission. It's not my house. It's your house. Right? I can sign off to the bank my house, not your house. He says, when you sign off, when Shylock, when, when Shylock wants to pound the flesh, you can't sign off your pound of flesh. It's not yours. As God. God gave it to me to take care, to guard, to protect, to utilize. Sometimes I have to prick my body. That's why a person does not want to harm their body. Harming a body is an absolute prohibition in Allah. We're not talking about a surgery to save life or something that a person does to, for the benefit of life or for the benefit of the soul or for the benefit of existence. Yeah, I fast on Yom Kippur, right? Maybe my body doesn't always like it, but the, the, it, it's, it's, it's good for the person. God wants so, etc., etc. A person goes on a juicing diet. It doesn't mean that the body is always happy, but sometimes you need to discipline the body for its own benefit, for the benefit of a person's life. So we say, There's a fascinating medrash. It says in Iyav, the, the, the in, in the book of Job, it says, God says, Who came before me, and I'm going to pay them. So the medrash says in Tanhumma, Emer, Zayan, the medrash says as follows. Rabbi says that God says to a person, Who praised me before I gave them a soul? I gave you consciousness so you can praise me. Me mo lefon ha'chalei Who gave their child a bris before I gave them a child. Me Whoever made tzitzis before I gave them a sheep that had wool that they could be able to make a cloak, a garment, or if it was made from cotton or another fabric. Me asa lefon ha'chalei gag. Who built a fence on the roof, a maka, which is a mitzvah, before I gave them a roof. <laughs> I gave them a roof who put up a mezuzah they didn't have a home they had to have a home who built a sukkah before I gave them space who gave payah which is the corner of a field that you leave for the poor before I gave them a field who gave tithing before I gave them a silo before I gave them grain who brought all of the offerings without me providing, creating an animal and giving them the animal? Hanashama loch v'aguf mi Tell me if you came first, and I'll pay you back. God says, I'll pay you. Every part of life, the neshama we actually call a chelik elikamimal. It's actually God giving Himself, almost lending Himself. It's like a piece of Hashem chelik Mal. The neshama is a fragment of Heaven a piece of Hashem, or a derivative of of the consciousness of infinity, the consciousness of oneness. A borrower needs to return what they got intact. Enhanced, great, but at least intact. That's why the Gemara says in Baba Metziah, Osa Baba Metziah, Kuv Zion, 107, we say Baruch Ata Bevayecha, Moshe Rabbeinu blesses the Jewish people. Baruch Ata Bevayecha, Uvaruch Ata B'tzeisecha. You're blessed when you come, and you're blessed when you go. When you leave, he says, "What does that mean?" So the Gemara says, "Shatei Itzascha Min ki Kibiyascha La'olam." You should leave at least as you came. I came in pure. I should leave pure. B'Yascha La'olam B'lechet Af Yitziascha B'lechet. Baruch Ata Bevayecha Uvaruch ata, ata B'tzeisecha. That I should be able to leave as I came in. That's what Chana says about Shmuel. I borrowed him and he says "Therefore, I'm lending him back. You gave me a loan. Here, take it. Those are Chana's words. The question is, and here we come to the famous website. It's been around 4,000 years www.jewishguilt.com and org and many other. Because a shayel, a borrower who gets to use <laughs> who gets to use everything I have to pay. Even a shayel even a shayel even a shayel he's potter from Einsen, as I said, but he's chayev for many other things. Certainly a shayel I'm always liable to pay. Even if it was unavoidable, certainly if it was avoidable, certainly if it was negligent. So what does this tell a person about life? Who doesn't make mistakes? Ain't I'm using God's soul every day. Using God's consciousness. Using my brain, using my body, every limb of my body, organ of my body. But I'm precious, Sometimes I'm negligent. Sometimes I lose the plot. Sometimes it's an oynus. It's not even me. It's unavoidable. I lent it to you. I want it back, and I want it back intact. And if not, you have to pay. So we learned in the beginning of the class. I wasn't just saying it incidentally that there's one exception: mesa machmas malacha. What's mesa machmas malacha? It died as a result of the work. What would that mean spiritually? That's a unique, unique soul. It's called Kiddush Hashem. Meisamach Machmas Malacha means that a Jew died in their Melechah in their Melechah they gave up their life. Then a person is pata from everything. Then the Shail is pata from everything. Meisamach Machmas Malacha. But we hope for every single person Al to live a long, happy, healthy, prosperous, joyous, fulfilled life. And when we look at life as a loan. This is where profound anxiety and stress comes in because the real source of all anxiety, yes, anxiety comes out in so many different ways and with many different manifestations, but the source of anxiety is a person's pristine and refined sensitivity to who I am, why I am, what my duty is, what my responsibility is, that I'm ultimately a shayal; I'm a borrower. If a person wouldn't have that experience of conscience, of sensitivity, of spirituality. Altered Rebbe has a mime and he says, why is it that all animals are happy? All plants are happy, all trees are happy, the only ones who are miserable are people. And animals who spend a lot of time with people. (laughs) Dogs in New York and California also go to therapy. But this is what he says, because there's a natural vibe of joy that flows through every single created being. There's confidence and joy in Hashem's space, and everything that comes from Hashem has confidence and joy. But in the human consciousness, things get very complicated. Things get very, very complex. So we have anxiety, we have stress, we have guilt, we have a lot of fear. We have a lot of fear. So therefore one option is to deny that I'm, a, I'm, borr- I'm not a borrower, I own life. That's what some people do. That's the geschmack, the luring, deceptive, delightfulness of atheism. I want to remove the burden of responsibility. Viktor Frankl used to say, just as America has a statue of liberty on the East Coast, they need on the West Coast a statue of responsibility. California needs a statue of responsibility but it's hard I don't have to explain this to a Jewish audience but some because they want to get rid of that burden if I could deny that I'm a custodian I'm not a shaymachinam, I'm not a socher I'm not a soycha, I'm not a shayel aniva afsiyoid the river is mine and I made myself somebody once said about somebody he said, he's a self made man and he worships his creator Think about that. <laughs> there's a lure, there's a deceptive lure to it. Leave me alone, no guilt, don't put things on my shoulders. More mitzvahs, more responsibilities, more tshuva. It's very hard, it's very tough. I just read uh, last night, in the middle of the night, an email from somebody. This person writes to me, very sen- you see sensitive souls. This person says, the, the, the burden of Judaism is just too intense. I had to let go of all of it just to be able to allow myself breathing space. And I still feel guilty. <laughs> That's why I say a Jew feels guilty, and if he doesn't, he blames himself. I don't feel guilty. Oy, I feel relaxed. OMG! <laughs> I feel relaxed. What's going on? This is not good. But I'm trying to explain to you the The, the neurosis or the anxiety that creates these tendencies. So if I say, I'm not a borrower, I'm not a renter, I'm not a custodian, I detach myself from any source. I don't belong to anything and anybody. I, where did everything come from? So I have to figure things out. So Jews do that successfully with their cerebral Ashkenazic talent. But one can understand it because a shayel, if you're a shayel... (laughs) Especially that philosophy, the Rebbe said, that Jew who says, kol shaloi the shayel says, the world is mine, I want to use it. The shaymachinam at least says, I'm a custodian, I don't even need to pay. Shaymachinam says, I'm a custodian but I want schar. Seicher says, I want to use it and I'll pay. A Shoyal says, I want to use it I don't even pay. And a Shoyal is obligated with everything, liable for everything. Meisamach, Masmalach is something unique. Comes the Torah, and in the very posik that it speaks about, the obligation of the shayl, back to that Pasik, the Torah says, The first source. In that very first verse, even before the Torah says you should pay, it's interesting. The structure should have been when you borrow something, you should pay. If the master is there, you don't have to pay. That's not how the Torah formulates it. The first formulation is you don't have to pay. It's not how you say it. If you borrow something, you pay. If the guy is there, you don't have to pay. That I understand. That's how you present the law. It's not how the Torah presents it. Payment is almost like the second fiddle. Second tier. You see? <laughs> right away, if the Baal is not there, then you pay. In other words, it's right away with a stipulation that you'll only pay under certain circumstances. And therefore, in Baal of Imai, lo yishalom. Because here, the Torah is not just addressing the physical borrower and lender. Torah is addressing the cosmic borrower and the cosmic lender. And what the Torah is saying is that if it's she'elah b'bailim, if before you borrow, you first ask the owner, the one who lent it to you, come be with me. Be with me. Help me out. Before I borrow the object, the item, I turn to the owner and I say, come be here with me. Even if it's just, give me a Vasa. A bisel Hashkei ni mayim. That's the example in Gemara. Hashkani mayim. A Jew drinks a cup of water and what do you say before? Everything came into existence through his words. When a Jew is she'ela b'ba'elam, if I ask the owner before the borrowing, you're here with me, suddenly everything changes. Whether there's an accident, there's a mistake, there's an error, there's an unresolved wound, there are difficulties, and even shia, even negligence you don't have to pay <laughs> no penalties no punishments, you're good I take responsibility this doesn't mean the person says I shouldn't do tshuva, I shouldn't fix my mistakes Ah, huh? you got it it was worth the first hour of a migraine it doesn't mean the Rebbe said, you don't have to do tshuva. The person says, okay, I'm absolved. Let me go sin. On the contrary, he said, if Hashem is with you, for sure you'll do tshuva. <laughs> for sure I'll fix. For sure I'll repair. But the pain of the guilt and the shame, the sense of detachment, the sense of penalty and punishment, she'ele <laughs> ba'balim, says you're absolved. You're for now let's remember, all punishments in Torah are not just punishments. They're basically consequences based on a blemish. Like if a person has a wound, a person has a splinter, I have to remove it. A person has an infection, we have to treat it. A person has something deeply inside, you need somebody to help you extract it. Sometimes it's painful, but it's not bad. It's always based on a blemish. What's the greatest blemish of the sin? If every oinish is Lafi habgam, like it says in Tanya, says every punishment is based on the bgam. Now, for says many svarim. So when you say that the shoyal is not, doesn't have to pay, doesn't have to give a penalty, doesn't have to punish, it means that the blemish is not the same blemish. Why not? Because the biggest blemish of the mistakes we make in life, the biggest blemish that comes from a sin and a transgression, is the feeling that I'm alone. That I'm detached, that I'm wounded, that I'm, I'm a humiliated creature, I'm, I'm, I'm a desperate creature. The punishment of a sin is not just punishment in terms you get punished. Punishment represents all the consequences that come from it. And the greatest consequences, the consequence that I wallow in that sense of, of desperate detachment and aloneness. When the person has Shaila Babalam, when I borrowed it, I asked the owner and I knew the owner was there with me. And that's when I acquired it. then everything is completely transformed in this person's life. Then even if I made the mistake, and even if I was negligent, I had a moment of insanity. I don't know if that's called negligence. But even if it wasn't a moment of insanity, it's always a form of insanity. But even if you can call it negligence, I should have known better. I already had an education. I already dealt with my trauma. I knew what's going on in my reptilian brain. Back to our class of Parshas Boy. You remember about Pare and the Bechira and the choice. There's a lightness. The burden of existence is not heavy. Why? Because the owner is there. The owner is there with me. Who missed this point? It was at the first sin. And you see here the shift. And you see the contrast. If you take a look, Adam and Chava were told not to eat from a tree. They ate from the tree. Why did they eat from the tree? The serpent gave them some very enticing lecture. And explain to Chava why it's a very good idea to eat from the tree. However, we're going to explain it. We all assume the downfall of Adam and Chava was what they ate from the tree. But when you read the Torah, the description of what happened after, you see there was something much more devastating. And that's the difference between Sheela b'Baylam and not Sheela b'Baylam. If you take a look in the next source, Beresh's Gimel Ches, take a look. They eat from the tree. They feel that they're not they're not they're, 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 they feel that they don't have clothes suddenly they hear the voice of God in the garden and what do they do? they hide who do they hide from? they hide from Hashem what does it mean to hide from Hashem? who are you hiding from when you're hiding from Hashem? who do you think you're hiding from? where exactly is God? he's in the closet I'm going to go into the closet so he won't find me I'm going to go under the couch who am I hiding from? what type of idea of God is that I'm going to hide from God? It's the same thing like saying you're hiding from yourself. In fact, if the the neshama is a mal, who am I hiding from? So who could they not face? They couldn't look at themselves. There was no self anymore. The self went into hiding forever. Suddenly I hear the voice of God. I hear the voice of my own conscience. I hear the voice of my own depth, of my own reality. I can't be here, Sorry. In neuroscience, it would be called a moment of freeze, freeze. When there's such a danger, I either run, or I attack, fight or flight, or just I go offline, I just detach, or run away. It's all a form of hiding. So what happens? Hashem calls out to Adam and says, where are you? Who's calling out to Adam? It's he himself, she herself, from their depth." Hashem is the core of reality. The is not only outside of me, he's also inside of me. We are part of Hashem. We're part of reality. Where are you? And they answer. I heard your voice and I got terrified. Because I'm naked. I feel naked. I feel horrible. I'm going to face God. They know that God exists. I go into hiding. If I go into hiding, I don't have to face you without clothes. It's embarrassing. You see what happens at this moment? They could not believe that there's a relationship afterwards. It's lost. The eye is destroyed. The eye is devastated. That consequence is truly catastrophic. For a sin, there's tshuva. But for the belief, that I'm essentially evil. How do I do tshuva for that? That's why we say in Davening and Myre, Satan remove Satan from before us and from behind us. So the Seer of Lublin, the Choyz of Lublin, said, I know why the Satan is before me. You know, there's always the tour guide in front. Here, come, 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 Rabbi. Waiwai, It's very nice here. <laughs> come. Why Why is he in the back? What, what, what's he doing in the back? He's following me. He's leading me. That's why he's a sultan. He's not following me, he's leading me. That's the problem. If he's following me, he's the good. What's my so the Khaiz of the blind said, there's the sultan that says, Come. And then there's the one after. <laughs> after I sin, he's behind me. And he says, That's where you are. That's where you are. <laughs> look, look how look. Look how guilty you should feel. And it's with, always with religious language. Look how guilty you should feel. Look how horrible you are. God hates you. Hide. Go into a closet and hide. Don't come out. Don't come out. It's too embarrassing. And you know what? Maybe God will forget. There's a lot going on in the world. Maybe he'll forget. I gave up on myself. I don't believe that the owner is with me. I don't feel the embrace at this moment. There's a detachment. I think a made a mistake. But what does a Jew have to know? We say at the end of Krishna, <speaking in Hebrew> I am yours. <laughs> we take these words for granted. God says, <speaking in Hebrew> I am yours. The first of that I am yours. I'm yours. And Tehillim we say, zar. Says, Don't have among you or inside of you a strange god, literally a pagan deity. The Kotsker Rebbe said, That by fremder. You hear? L'yiye v'cha keel zar is usually translated, don't have inside of you an alien God. He says, no, God shouldn't be an alien in you. Sometimes somebody comes to your house, you never met them before. Who are you? Where are you from? Right? But it's your sister, it's your brother, it's your mother, it's your father, it's your child. Why did you dismiss me and now you don't know who I am? Yeh v'cha keel zar. Why did the relationship cease? I'm horrible. Oh, that's what you have to be careful. That's when the borrower is stuck. When the borrower didn't realize that before he borrowed, the owner comes along. And the owner is always there. So take a look at the next source. Vayetzeich of Ches Yaakov Avinu left his father's home, his mother's home. He's running away from Esau. He's going to Charon. He has this dream, he wakes up, he's inspired, and he makes a promise. And what are his first words? He doesn't say, if God protects me, if God gives me bread, the first thing he says is, We call it in halacha, she'ela." those are the words I need bread, I need clothes I'm going to work, I need a shidduch but the first thing is before everything before you give me bread, before I'm going to use my body my soul, Bailam be here with me, help me be present in my life who is the opposite of Adam and Chava take a look at David HaMelech Perik Chavzayin and Tehillim chapter Chavzayin we say the whole Elul and Tishrei The grammar in this Pasuk, although we we know it all and there's beautiful songs on it and everybody knows this Pasuk, but think about the words. One thing I ask of Hashem. Okay, tell me what you ask. No, no. That's what I ask. I believe you... (laughs) I come to you and I say, I want to ask you for one favor. That's what I ask. Say what, you, why don't you just say what you're asking for. What's Question one. Question two. First time he says Sha'alti. Second time he says Avakesh. Why? Sha'alti means I ask. Avakish means I ask. I search for, I want. Achaz Sha'alti Meis Hashem. Or Achaz Bikashti Meis Hashem. Question number three. Sha'alti is past tense. Avakesh is present and future tense. Grammatically, you don't do that. Listen, achas sha'alti. One thing I asked. oisa avakesh. He should have said oisa bikashti. Past tense. So then achas eshal. No problem. He asked it once, he's asking it again. But he changes the language. So when it comes to sha'alti, it's past. When it comes to avakesh, it's future. He could have said achas eshal. He's not asking for yesterday. He's asking for now on, right? So Ahas, one thing I ask. <speaking in> no. So the Maram Sheik brings in this parsha what he heard from, in the name of Rabbi of Rizion. The great Hasidic master known as the Heleke Rizion and of Rizion. And he said as follows. Listen to an interpretation. The word achas, Toisvus writes in Meseches Menachas, page Yutchas, page 18, page Chai, Ahas Refers to the soul. We once learned a vi Isha achas. Achas refers to the soul because the soul is one with Hashem. The word achas means one, like achois is a sister because they're connected. There's a natural oneness, organic connection between sisters. Ichuyah Alexandra, the Gemara says, Alexandrian not. It's a not. Achas, one. Yechidele yachtach, the, the soul is one. So he says, David HaMelech was saying as follows Achas, my soul. Shaalti may sashem. I borrowed from Hashem. Shaalti means Sha'ela Shoyel. Akas Shaalti Meyeshem. Oy so avakesh. Hence, because I borrowed it, I ask now one thing. Shifti bevashem call ye mech. I ask for sha'ilah bebaylam. I should experience myself in the house of Hashem. In other words, the owner is with me. Then life has noyam, sweetness, delight. Not because I don't make mistakes. It's certainly, oinus. Even the greatest of the great is oinus. This thing's unavoidable. But it's shifti There was a Rav who lived close to me. His name was Reb Chaim Rubin He was an anacle of bells and rapshits and sons. He was a Rav of a shul called Base David Gershon on New York Avenue in Brooklyn. So he told me that once he was in Fleischman Hotel. Anybody still remembers the Fleischman Hotel? It's still open? Wow, okay. So he told me his father was a Rav and he was once there, Shabbos, for they went this the summer, and Reb Moshe Feinstein was there. And at Chalashudas Reb Moshe turned to his father, Rabbi Reuben's father and asked him to say a Vart. It was the month of Elul. So he said over this Vart. He didn't say from whom. Reb Moshe Feinstein listened, and when he finished, Reb Moshe Feinstein tells him, he says, <laughs> Such a word can come from a Hasidic genius. In other words, it has the Hasidic flavor. Say so he Say me his father told Reb Moshe that it was from the Sar Shalom of Bells, the first Rebbe of Bells. But the Marabshik brings it from the Could be He got it from the Ruzhina. Shei Now look how meticulous this is and this comes from the Khidushe Harim the first Gerer Rebbe of Alter Alter He says take a look at Parsha's Balak next source Parech of Gimel Pasach Aleph. Numbers 23 verse 21 Bilam says Bilam is prophesizing lo bit oven Hashem did not see sin in Yaakov he doesn't see, lahibit. he doesn't see Oven, he doesn't see iniquity by Nor does he see mischievous toil by What do you mean? The whole Torah speaks about if you do this, there's reward. If you don't do this, there's the opposite. What says the Chidush Harim. look at the next words. Look at the next words. Look at the next words. But Allah of Kov Everything is different. That was the uniqueness of David. The Gemara says, Why is it that Shoal made one major mistake and he lost the royalty? And David Amalach made more mistakes than Shoal. and he didn't. And Chazal struggled with this. But now we can understand. Like other Marishon Shoal, when he made a mistake, he ran away wasn't my fault and I didn't mean it and there was a cheshbin and they pressured me. Why am I being dishonest? Because I don't feel I can be honest. Who can I not face? I can't face me because I can't face God. In other words, there's a deep shame that becomes much worse than the sin. In the world of, 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 of neuroscience, the world of trauma, it's known that the main trauma is not the trauma. Not to underestimate trauma. The main trauma is the response to trauma. The way I process it, the way I internalize it. What happened, happened, and it can be devastating, don't get me wrong. Sometimes devastating, sometimes it seems benign. But whatever is, whether it's devastating or not, the real damage comes from what I learned from it about me. What do I learn from my mistake about me? What do I learn from my sin about me? Adam and Chavah say, we can't face you anymore. We're going into hiding. From whom? From ourselves, from God, from everybody. David HaMelech, the moment Nassim HaNavi comes to him and confronts him, he says two words, Khatasi Lashem. He doesn't blame me. He Here I am. And he says in Tehillim Nonale, Khatasi Negdi Summit, I face my sin always. So in Kuflam test, David HaMelech says, I go up to heaven, you're there. I go into the abyss, you're also there. The uniqueness of David HaMelech was that even in the abyss, even in the abyss, even if there was negligence, you're there. You're there. You're there. I'm in darkness, but darkness doesn't eclipse you. That's why in Psalm 23 Gimel. Gam ki Even if I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I know you never gave up on me. You never let go of the embrace. You never detached. The detachment may come from my own perception. But the owner never said bye bye. Before I borrow, David HaMelech, Acha shealti. So therefore, the beginning of tilim the end of Tilim, even in sin, I'm connected. And the Khidusha Harim continues and he says, and therefore I quote, says so the Harim is one of the greatest spiritual masters in Poland, the Bitchamay, the Khidush Harim student of the Kotzke Rebbe. Passed away, Khavov of Gimel Adr, 1866. So he says, therefore Tzadikim used to say that if a person doesn't lose his Kabbalah's El even when he sins, for a person doesn't lose that awareness of his or her relationship with Hashem, even during and after a sin, the shayel doesn't have to pay. <laughs> He's absolved from all punishment. I'm going to do tshuva. If God is really with me, I'm going to do tshuva. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Especially if I was negligent. But punishments, payments, penalties, the shayel is absolved. The Sharim says... Why? But this is not so easy. And the reason it's not so easy is because when the accident happened, I didn't feel the owner was there. If I really would have felt the owner was there, I probably wouldn't have done it. But if the owner was there when I borrowed, remember, that's what Chazal are saying. Even if the owner, remember, back to the beginning, go back. The ADD part. Even if the owner wasn't there when it happened. Say, what's the. If the owner was there, I understand he wasn't there. If Hashem would have been fully present in my consciousness, I wouldn't have done it. Vihine Hashem mitzvah love, um chalaritz kvaydei, love alava vaychin kloyaz velev, as it says in Tanya 41. Comes chazal and say, no, this is where you see the depth. But when you borrowed it, the owner was with you. When you borrowed your soul and your body, you invited, before that you invited the owner, you said, come be here with me. So even if during the event, during the Aveda, I didn't feel the owner was there. I'm Potter. Because when I took the very object, the Bailam is this, he says, therefore, when a person understands that level of the relationship... That it never ceases, the relationship never ceases. So the person is in a completely different state. And now we can understand how the whole day of a Jew works from a Jewish perspective. You'll see how the day of a Jew works. It's all based on this masik, all based on Shailab Abilim. Every morning at night, we say, Afkid I give you my spirit. Hadashim Labkarim Rabbah Munasach Hazal Hashem returns on Hashem every morning. Sleep was one sixtieth of death. And that's why we thank Him again every morning because it's like a renewal of life. It is a renewal of life after we wake up. We say, I remove sleep from my eyes. So God lends me, I wake up in the morning and He lent me my soul, my body. My skills, my mind, and that's why we have all the brachas. What's the first thing a Jew does when he wakes up or she wakes up? The first thing. Before you borrow the cow, before you borrow the computer, before you borrow the phone, before you body the before you borrow the limbs and the organs and the brain and everything else. Sha'la Babailim. First borrow the owner. And my soul that you have given back to me is you. It's a chela keleka ima. And then the first brach after we wash our hands, because before that we can't mention Hashem's name. Maidani, you don't have Hashem's name. But the first brach we say after Nitalis Elakai, elekai neshama shenasa tabi tohoiri. The soul you have given me. Your soul, it's you. It's pure. Ata varasa, ata yitzar, ata So you could say, God gave the soul, but he never came along. Va'ato Meshamra Bakirbi. <laughs> I remember when the Lubavitcher Rebbe said this, I was a young book it was va'ato Meshamra Bakirbi. So a Jew says, You're guarding it inside of me. You're, he's right there in the sukkah in the garden, in, in my body. B'kirbi. So every Jew did Shaila So now what happens during the day? I start using my soul, I start using my body, comes the Pesach and says, Ba'alav imoy, lo yishalav. Shuvah have to do, but lo oven b'yakov, Hashem Emoy. And that's why we see Chazal say that the first thing in the morning we daven. And it says a person should not engage in his or her own needs before davening. Because here is even a deeper she'elah babaylam. Chazal say, I shouldn't eat to drink before davening. I shouldn't engage in my business hafirs before davening. Why? You'll daven an hour later. Why is it so important that davening should be the foundation of the day? Because what happens by davening? We ask Hashem for our needs. I tell Hashem, please, Vaser. <laughs> That's davening. Baruch azois, Atachin El Adam Das All the brachas. Please give me my water. So you're asking, isn't this a license for promiscuity, frivolousness? I think it's the opposite. <laughs> I think it's the opposite. Promiscuity is usually an escape from pain. You could see it. Frivolousness is a form of fear. There's a hopelessness. I'm frivolous. I don't feel my life has dignity. I can't be responsible. When the person knows Hashem HaLakav Imoi and the embrace never ceases, then even if I made a mistake, I had a weak moment, I'm back, I'm in the relationship. The trauma doesn't become internalized. And this is not just about sin. Technically, I made a mistake in sin. We're talking about all experiences in life that damage us from within or from without. Things I do or things that have been done to me. That's all the category of the shoyal who's responsible. A shoyal is responsible. There was a hurricane, there was an abuser, there was a perpetrator. You're responsible. That's what I'm feeling. But if I know that there was she'ela b'bailam. And that's the prerequisite of the day. The davening is the prerequisite of the day. (laughs) Chazal say, Abba B'Yamin used to say, I want my davening should be right near my bed. If it's not right near your bed. Because when I, what, what was he saying? Shaila babaylam. I wake up, dveikus. The person in the morning, or Jew, anchors herself, or anchors themselves, in the shifti beves Hashem, to be completely one with the master, with the owner. Now the day may take me into different places. We all know our days sometimes feel like Ferris wheels and sometimes like roller coasters and sometimes like super-duper loopers. Those are the roller coasters that go upside down for those who don't know. I know we're from the 70s. But the super duper looper was around I don't remember when. Life has many vicissitudes. But if the She'ela, if I had the dvekas in the morning, even though right now the owner says I'm not here I don't feel the owner. It's still called She'ela babaylam. And lo yishalem. When I know Hashem is always with me and therefore my dignity is non-negotiable. My dignity is absolute. The light of infinity continuously vibrates through me. If I can not only say these words, but feel them, breathe them, experience them, then the consequences of all my mistakes or even events that are challenging are completely, completely different. Completely different. <laughs> That's why Yaakov starts off, Im yiyah imadi. Everybody have a wonderful week. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the Rechaim, you're right, the Rachayim asks a big question. The Rechaim HaKadosh says that if you take this Pasek seriously and have Hashem, every Jew is part of my mansion. Because Bala Vimai, Hashem is always with me. Hashem gives us everything. Hashem is responsible for everything. So the R'chayim says two things. Number one, he says... Every Tanai, Kol Tanai Shabba and Kayim, if you make an explicit stipulation with the borrower that none of this applies and he has to pay, then he's liable. So the Rechaim says Hashem made an explicit stipulation with us that even if Baal Avimah, we still have to pay. Secondly, the Rechaim says is that uh, who says Hashem doesn't have to pay Medine Shemaim? He doesn't have to pay down here on earth, but maybe he's Machayav to So here too. That's the second explanation. And then the Rechaim elaborates and he says that according to Pnimi there's a lot more to say about this. He, he, he interrupts himself. He says there's a lot more to say about this. But still, in addition to the fact that he says there's a lot more to say about this, I'm not sure there's a contradiction between the Rechaim's Vart and the Chidush and the Hilakiruzhuner and the, the Sarshalam of Bells and the Labavat the Rechaim is talking about the Baal of Imai that comes because of the fact that Hashem is always here and present. What these Hasidic masters are talking about Baal of Imai is a special avodah that in the morning you acknowledge that you shayel the Baalim. You acknowledge the Rebbeinah Shaladim's presence with you. It's a special avodah. You see it also in the Mishpat Mishpatim Tafri Yishlam of the same Halach. It's a special avodah. And that makes the Baal of Imai. So I think it's not a contradiction.